You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. For your next sci-fi addiction, you need to pick up the first books in the Spire novel series from author Peter F. Smith. The Spire brings to life a setting years after a viral apocalypse has decimated the world's population, leaving only a handful of families who were instrumental in the downfall of mankind as its new rulers. With mankind wiped out, these elites turn on one another with violent results. I enjoyed the incredible details put into the action scenes that rival any you could possibly see on the big screen, and the thought put into the world building crops possibilities that are endless. The second book, Apocalypse Dawn, allows you to dive further into this dystopia from a survivor's point of view and will grip you instantly. You can pre-order both books on Amazon for 99 cents until November 12th. So sign into your account now and pick up your copies of the next major sci-fi hit and always remember to geek out. Down here at the Yumacon 2019, talking once again to Orlando Harding of First Comics. Hey, Mitch. How's everybody doing? Good. How have you been? Doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be down here. The nice trip down to Yuma. <laughs> Took me a couple hours. Got a nice chorizo burrito. There and now go. I'm ready to talk comics and, and talk whatever we can. <laughs> so last time we talked, we were at a uh, amazing Comic-Con Las Vegas. Right, right. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been hustle. Hustle? Just... Have you just been hustling? You just oh yeah, I mean that's you know hustling and um, last time I think we and I and I don't remember that but last time I think we spoke um, I was trying to get one of my books taken to the next level uh-huh. and you know just like when we before we got on air uh, we we got the word Friday that that did not happen <laughs> it wasn't going to happen and it was kind of a heartbreaker there were some uh, hurt feelings about it but this is part of the business that's and as a the creator um, that's why I have representatives that's right. so I don't have to make emotional decisions <laughs> so they can make the correct decision and in the end um, it would have been cool to but you make know, an announcement right. yeah. it just wasn't right it, it was not right in the end and, and um, you know you have to go with that you have to go with your gut when it's not right and it makes w- sense when uh, when they want to keep your, your product and keep what you created and keep it in perpetuity and everybody remember that word perpetuity <laughs> when they want to get it forever <laughs> you will no longer get it back that's a real tough decision to make, but in the end, it, it was uh, it was a no-brainer. Uh, it just wasn't enough benefits to, for us to me to give up uh, RRH or Red Riding Hood and perpetuity forever. That that makes complete sense. So, let's talk about the new book then. What, what are we What are we looking at here? Oh man, this new book I uh-huh. got coming out. Um, I'm just waiting on getting the title trademarked. Okay. <laughs> so I can't say, so the, title say the title yet. I can't say the title that's, yet. That's fair. Because we're working on it. But the new book, uh, I was just working on it last night, reading it to my wife, and she was like, wow, I have never heard anything like that. It's a book that's going to be dealing with a lot of uh, magic. Mm-hmm. A lot of magic and uh, the human condition. Okay. <laughs> so once you have the human condition and magic, 
we as people, you know, we are entertainment. You know, some places, cities, you can go any place in the mall and just people watch, and people are a trip. Yes. So when you throw the human yes. condition, people, and magic in there, <laughs> it's really going to be going to be something. And um, and I'm already up to page uh, 20, 27, 27 on the book, and so. Uh, the cover's done, and uh, you and you saw you just saw the, you just the saw the one of the, two of the covers. You saw two I of saw the covers. Two of them, yes. The yeah. one on the phone and the one I just uh, unraveled, and it's really going to be uh, a unique book. You know how they say sometimes that all every story has been done, and uh, it's just one story, just another version of another. Right. That ain't the case. This is going to be a story that people are going to say, "I've never heard of anything like that." I think that's what's going to draw people to it. Also, I can't wait to read it. That sounds. <laughs> I amazing. can't wait for you to read it. <laughs> so okay, uh, we don't want to talk about what's in the book, but what 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 went into what went into writing it? What went into to finding your artist this time? You know what? This, you know what? Again, what do I always try to start with? I always try to start with something unique, something that hasn't done before. And this was actually pretty easy. This okay. wasn't even, even, even hard. Um, and I just came up with a, you know, a story. I, you know, I, some of my books have like kind of a bounty hunter theme or what have you. But this is, you know, this is crime and punishment, the human condition, magic, everything that goes along with it. And, and it, society was completely transformed and changed. And American society is what it is today because of the struggles of the past. Mm -hmm. So what this is a, basically a futuristic book where we talk about the rest of the American condition, the human condition, and the struggles we have to, uh, this country has to ta take upon to, in order to change and to evolve. And some people look forward to change others resist change <laughs> and this is good this that's all part of the human condition so this is you know just like say equal right equal rights for african-americans uh voting rights for women you know um just laws it's funny it's crazy to think now in 2019 that there were a law less than 100 years ago that said i wasn't even a human being yeah i mean that's just crazy yeah and look where we are now, but there's still, you know, right now we have equal rights for equal pay. Even women right now, they do the exact same job as men. They don't get the same pay. Right. And you would think that'd be a no-brainer now. So I'm going to really focus on the human condition on ways nobody's ever considered it before to see what would we do uh, just because we're, we've evolved and we're in the future. Does our, does, our, uh, does our thinking change? Does our thinking become futuristic or... Are we stuck into the old ways and dealing with things just because I said so, just because this is the way it's always been this done? This is the way it's always been uh, done. This has always been done this way. It's just how it is. Yeah. And compared to, wait, just because it's how it is, should it be done? <laughs> should it still be that way? Exactly. And so that's what the book is really going to focus on in a way that I don't. Th I think people will be very pleasantly surprised. So, okay, there was, that, was that what you set out to do when you were writing the book, or was it something that happened while you were writing? You know, it's all part of the writing process. It just okay. evolved. It just right. kind of evolved. That's one thing. You know, um, I am truly blessed that I got to make sure I say I'm blessed because I've never been one of those writers who have writing block. Like, I can't think of anything. I mean, all I need to do is sit down and it just starts to flow. It starts to flow. Next thing you know, it's four or five hours later and then I'm up to page, you know, 10 or 11. Um, and sometimes it's just the, the process of thinking which way you're going to go or what might be cool. Then sometimes I may even look back at it and be like, no, I'm going to change this a little bit because I think this might be a little bit more profound or this might be a little bit, you know. And, and that's what it was. And then, of course, I bounced it off the wife because the wife would tell me. And she'll tell you when <laughs> no, you're, you're The wife would up, tell right? you in a minute. And she was just like, this is unique. Wow. She's like, this is really unique. She goes, I can't wait to hear the next thing. Well, my wife tells me she can't wait to hear the next thing. It, it's all good then. It, it's, all, it's all good then because I know I got something. Because she'll tell me if I don't. Right. No, no. She'll be, she'll, <laughs> and she has told I mean, me when I don't. That, that's got to be great to have that support system. When, you know, the first person to tell you when you're you're not doing something right, right? That's right. But, you know, we as creators and, and, and anybody who's in the arts, we need to hear those critiques. Yes. You know? Um, I think it's 
I never think it's good to enable somebody and say, hell yeah, 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 your stuff is really good. And, and it's really not. You know, I tell people, it's okay. You can tell me if something you don't like about it. I, I will listen to what you say, and I will, I will try to take that in consideration. And of course, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But I, I do listen to it because if I may think my thing is the next, you know, peanut butter. And it could be grape jelly. <laughs> but wife said I'm pretty much doing pretty good with the peanut butter and, and where we're going. So, I mean, I'm very happy. You know, I can sit down and go a thousand different ways with a story. And that makes it unique into itself. So when people see it, when they read it, when they see the uh, the artwork, they say, "Okay, what is this about?" It, it intrigues them. And then when I and then you try to finish them off with the story. And this, I think, will absolutely finish people off when they hear the story. So let me ask you this: This is you know we're kind of in the I don't know if we're still in the middle of it. Maybe we're at the end of it, but the con season, convention season. You know, like I said, we I saw you a few months ago at, at Las Vegas. Uh, I saw you here last year. Coming to these cons. Like, does it help you with your writing process at all? Like having to, when you were explaining to people over and over what your, your book's about, what, you know, what it is they can expect, and it's like, does that help at all, or does it, does it, does it hinder? No, I don't think, you know, coming to the cons, I don't think it does either or. Okay. The cons, truthfully, the way I see the cons, the writing process for me stops at the cons. Okay. No, I can talk about what I'm doing, because mm-hmm. I did that, you know, I last wrote, on, worked on this book, I read it to the wife yesterday, so I last worked on it on Saturday. And the con is all about the fans, baby. It's yeah. all about the fans. It's about or creating new fans. Right. It's all about the product that I have right here in front. You know, so anybody comes up to the table, I'm friendly. I greet them and say, hey, what's this about? Da, 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 and then I just break it out to them. Um, years ago, nine, ten years ago, I was on the other side of the table, just a fan coming by. And I loved it when the creator would just sit down and talk to me because you don't know who that kid's going to be or who that person's going to be ten years later from now or anything like that. And just like I was inspired, I want people to be inspired, too. I want people to think that they can do this. They can. They can. Um, but what they need to be also is realistic. I want to tell them, give them the pitfalls of this, too. Yes. That it's not going to be all fame and glory. You're not going to make a movie in the next year <laughs> and be a multimillionaire. And when it's starring Mel Gibson and Will Smith, it's just not, not going to happen. that's a movie. <laughs> that would be a movie. You're right. I mean, and so a lot. that's where a lot of people, they get caught up into the glitz and glam. In the end, that would be cool, just like I, when we spoke about before we got, got, on, got on air. No, it would be cool to make a deal and have some financial security, because that's what it's all Financial yes. security is great. But in the end, we don't do this for the financial security because most of us are broke anyway. We do it because we love it. It's cool stories. It's imagination. It's drawing people in, just like from the back in the days before when I was a little kid, my mother would read me uh, The Three Little Pigs or... or Little Red Riding Hood, or any of the other, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak, any of those, you know, bedtime stories, that had an impact on me and my imagination, and I just took it to another level, so to a whole different things. Well, there are people at this show who might have the same potential or want to do the same thing, but they just don't know how. So we as creators can say, well, hey, this is what worked for me. Maybe it can work for you. Maybe it won't. But the beautiful thing is, we want to encourage them to try. Yes. Because you don't know where it might land, you know, where it, where it might end up. So where does where does that balance lie? When because you were talking about like you don't want to enable somebody if their if their stuff isn't isn't good, but you also don't want to discourage someone from from pushing themselves harder. So where does that balance lie? You know, I think you, that's a good question. Um, you have to have tact. tact. <laughs> telling, yeah, that's great. Tact. Most people don't have that anymore. You have to have tact. <laughs> so I've had people just like you know, interesting, come up with some ideas. I'd be like, okay, well, what? And I ask them. What would make somebody want to buy buy this? Want to want to hear more about it? 
even as a counselor, you counsel them. You don't tell them what to do, but your questions may get, put them in the right direction to what they need to look at. There you without go. telling them what to do. And and as a former counselor, that's what I do. I counsel people. I'll be like, okay, I don't tell them what to do, but I'll ask the right questions where they can see it for themselves, where they might get a little bit stronger or tighter or explain a little bit more to draw people into whatever story it is. I, I never believe in telling a story just to, hell, just to heck for telling a story where there's no real thought, there's no forethought. Well, okay, well, if this guy ended up in this time period, why did he end up in this time period? Because that's what you got to really, really do. Because as, as a creator, you got to get ready for these fans to ask you that. Okay, if RRH, you know, if Sydney from RRH is goes to this high school, well, how is that possible? If, if, and if your stuff doesn't match up, it's going to be very difficult yes. for you to explain this. And so you got to be on your P's and Q's. And the more thorough and, and tight you are with your story, the better it's going to be. So you have to convey the same thing to them. If you want me to read your story, if, if you think you're, you know, your story is the next peanut butter, then... Is it tight enough where where you convey it's the next peanut butter, or is it actually de- jelly? <laughs> you know, and so so when when aspiring creators, or aspiring character creators, or writers, or or just just aspiring people come up to me and say, "Hey, I like to do this, and this is what I want to do." I'm like, "Okay, I will sit there and listen to them, and be like, and I will give them the feedback, but I will do it with tact. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like, "Hey, man, that that really like sucks. Uh, what, what, the hell, what the hell were you thinking about? I'm not gonna say that, but I will say." Okay, I think you need to work on this a little bit. But if somebody comes with a good story and it's just like, hey, this is what I want to do, da, 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 then I'll be like, hey, man, that's actually kind of cool. I'm, I'm kind of digging that. I'm kind of digging that. And what do you want to do with it? Well, I like to make a comic book out of it. You know anything about the printing business or anything like that? No. You know anything about anybody doing any artwork? No. Then I tell them where to go for that. And I have no issues with that. And then I, I've, even, I've told several people, I'm online. I'm on Facebook. If you got any issues or anything, email me. I will email you back within a couple of days after you email me and give you give you some direction if you're having difficulty with a certain thing. So, okay, then, uh, I mean, yes, they should seek you out and, and talk to you, email you and stuff. But just what's, a, what's some broad strokes? What, what is it that a person should do after they have that brilliant idea and, and they've gotten the feedback from someone saying, hey, yeah, that is a great idea. You should move forward. What's the next step for someone? Put writing? it on paper. you got to put it on paper. Okay. There are so many people out there with great ideas. <laughs> Don't put it on paper. And I would advise you learn how to type. Okay. But I've also had people who will just write their stuff. I, I, have a, I have a, actually have a coworker right now. She's actually a pretty good storyteller, but she doesn't type. <laughs> She's got it all written. I said, heaven help you if there's a storm <laughs> or anything like that. And she write, writes with pencil. I was just like, okay, girl, you better put, how are you going to save it in case something happens or the fire? I mean, something, a thumb drive, something, or take pictures of it. Take pictures, <laughs> take pictures of it. Take pictures of something. And, and she's just like, some people are just old school. They don't want to use computers and stuff like that, but there's a detriment, <laughs> a detriment to that just for saving it. And then, you know, having a thought and then putting it on paper. Mm-hmm. Then you really start to understand the, the story dynamics, the dynamics of a story, because once you start to read it, if you read your own work, you will start to see where some, there might be some flaws, where some things are like, oh, I'm reading it now. That doesn't make sense. It's because sometimes in your head it may be fantastic, but it may tra- not translate when you actually put it on paper. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to put it on paper. And then, of course, you know, we as artists, we as creators know what we mean to say. We know what we mean. Yes. But that doesn't mean other people get it. So it you got to make sure conveyed. that. Bingo. <laughs> you got to make sure that they understand what you're trying to say. And I think that's the best thing as a creator. 
I will write something. I th- I'm pretty sure I'm on the money with it, and I think of how it's being conveyed, but there's nothing better for me than a fan to come up at the thing, at the book and say, hey, man, I caught this. You put this in there. Did you do it? I was like, yes, somebody caught that. I was like, you actually caught that? They're like, yeah, I understand just what you were saying about that. And that's what you want. When they get it, you know you've done your job. And they want more. You've really done your job. Okay, so, you know, is there a certain structure when you're writing a comic book that you, sh- you should write your script out in? No, you know what? Keeping it real, Mitch, I don't believe in structure. Okay. I think whatever you need to do, you need to tell your story. Right. You know, I think the perfect thing is, uh, perfect example, um, uh, you know, I'm going to keep it real. When I was, uh, when I was working uh, in, at a local high school in San Diego, um, all the kids were talking about this one movie that they saw. Mm-hmm. And everybody's talking about the movie. And I was just like, what is this movie about? And it was like, the movie's really different, but it's a really cool movie. And, and it didn't have any structure, like no, no really beginning end or anything like that. And I was just like, okay, okay. And then one of the kids like, Orlando, if you want me to bring the movie in, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it in for you so you can see it. I was like, okay. And that, the next day, so one of my students brought the movie in, and then I took it home and watched it. That was the first day I saw Napoleon Dynamite. Wow. And I was just like, holy smokes. The movie made no sense <laughs> at all. None whatsoever. There was no real plot line. Um, I mean, besides, the only thing I did understand was vote for Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but the movie wasn't actually a very good and entertaining movie. You know? Especially when Kip got married at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Kip got married at the end. But you know what? And see, if you go with a typical format, Beginning, middle, and end—all of that stuff. There are ways a story can be told. It can be told a completely different way and still be absolutely entertaining and endeared. Okay, that's Napoleon Dynamite right there. When I saw the movie, it actually made no sense to the typical movie, typical plot structure. So, if it makes sense to you and it's conveyed the right way, I'm not with you. Don't have to have more power to you. You don't. You don't have to have that a set structure on how to do it. More power to you. There you go. <laughs> more power to you. So then what about uh, communicating to the artist, like, you know, what you want to see on the page? Do you, you personally, do you usually give a lot of instruction of what, what's supposed to be there? Like, what does that, that poster on the wall in the background supposed to look like? Or do you more say, hey, she's in an apartment, go? <laughs> it depends. Okay. Uh, it depends on the relationship you have with the artist. Okay. Um, with Night Stalker. I've worked with David Miller on Night Stalker. Uh, oh, we just got permission to print that book now. Finally, we're going to print yes. the new Night Stalker. Just got permission last week. So uh, now we, what we found out, um, President Trump has put uh, tariffs on printing from China, 15% extra extra tariffs. So they try, we're trying to find a new printer because we print, we print out in China because it's, it's a cheap, cheaper uh, printing. Yeah. But um, when I was working with David Miller on uh, Night Stalker, when David and I first got together, we didn't really know each other. We didn't necessarily understand each other. You know, when we were talking about a story, he was a good artist. And I was a fair writer, but everything didn't translate. So then what I always recommend with that, you set up some some uh, roadblocks to make sure you don't get it to a finished product and you don't like the finished product. So before we start with anything, I lay out the scenes. I, I make it as clear as possible how I want the scene to be laid out. And David would just do a plain and simple stick figure sketch. Is this what you mean? <laughs> and it's, stick figure is good enough. I can see a little bit of background. You can tell bushes and skies and stuff like that. A guy jumping in the air, just stick figure. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want. I'll be like, no, that is not what I want. I need. I want you to change this, change this a little bit closer, a little bit further away. And that's where the communication has to become, what, what has to come from. But then in the end, what we got towards the end, not uh, the second Night Stalker book, the point five, uh, with their other story, 
I could just lay out the scene, tell him what I wanted, and David would pretty much nail it. He'd nail it nine times out of ten. Every now and then, there was something that would be a little bit off. He would still do the sketches, um, but some things I just trusted him with, and most of the time, he nailed it. He nailed it nine times out of ten. Now, let's be real clear. Artists are a little bit fickle. <laughs> They're a little fickle. Um, and sometimes um, there's a little ego, little <laughs> ego there. And when it comes to my writing, I, you know, I really don't have any ego. I'm just like, okay, say, say what you got to say. Artists are a little bit of a different breed. They're, sometimes their feelings get a little bit hurt when you critique their work or something like that. And Orlando Harding's words are his own and do not represent the rest of Geekly. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. And sometimes there's going to be some critiques that you may not necessarily like. But it's not, it's not meant to be personal. It's to make the book as, yes. as, as, as good as possible. Exactly. That's what we want in the end. And if, if you can't take critiques You're in the and business. this industry, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> good luck. Because even though you may think you're the next Jim Lee or Todd McFarlane or, or, or Kanan White, um, you know, hey, and we all get critiqued. And so I, one thing I learned from our art director, Alex Wald, he said, you know, he's like, hey, he gave some feedback on some stuff. And there were some hurt feelings, you know, um, with some of our team members. And he said, I get the same kind of feedback to Frank Miller. Oh, he said I gave the same feedback <laughs> to Frank Miller when he was in here, yeah. and he's like, "It's not about who you are, or your ego. It's about to make the book look the best that it can. Yeah. And even though you may not like it, it's necessary. So that we got to do what's necessary. Exactly. And can but I think if you take the critiques for what they are, I think it provides plenty of opportunity for growth. I thought I was a, I thought I was a good writer ten years ago. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was a fair writer ten years ago. I am starting to be a good writer now. I'm not the best writer right now, but I'm a good writer right so now. So in 10 years, you've gone from fair to good. Fair to good. 10 years more, you probably going to be great. I hope so. <laughs> I hope to be great because that's what I'm working towards, you know. Um, my vocabulary, my vernacular, all of that stuff when, when it comes to writing. You know, how people speak and how you write are two totally different things. And I didn't understand that. I just spoke. You know, I wrote the way I spoke. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it makes sense. And even putting slang, sound effects, everything that goes in there, that's what we writers have to do. We have to come up with all of that stuff. And... When I look back at my some of my previous work, say like my first work, Pariah, I was just like, "Why, man, I've grown a lot since then." I'm like, "Whoa, we," you know. I understand what I was. I understood what I was trying to say, but it didn't come across as 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 well. And I was much more wordier back then <laughs> than I am now. Now, and the, that's where it comes to particular style because even reading comics now, I'm keeping it real. I like the wordier books, and that's why I have a wordier style because I would be kind of pissed off I read through a, if I read through somebody's book in six minutes and I'm done with the whole book because there's hardly any words in there. I like to you know read what's going on with the character, and I think that's good for character development. But you, won't, you don't want to be too wordy where one balloon has 200 words, <laughs> has 200 words in there. Yeah, you, you don't can't want to do cover that. up all the art. Right, and, so, and I had to learn that because when I first did it, my first, uh, I never, I'll never forget my first uh, letter, uh, Nate Picos with Blambot. And I wrote it like it was a movie. He's like, Orlando, I can't put this all in the, in the balloon. I was just like, Doc, I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, this is way too wordy. He said, if you want me to put this all in the balloon, he goes, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to turn this job down. <laughs> he told me that. And, I, you know, I was just like, damn. You know, I'm like, oh, that's kind of, but you know what? Oh, my goodness. It was so necessary. Yeah. And I learned to get a little bit more concise, and I'm much more concise now, where I won't take up a whole panel because <laughs> it's all full of words. Now, some dialogue will go back and forth between two characters interacting with each other, but I will really try to keep it at the minimum to convey the same meaning as in putting a whole bunch of balloons in there. Does that make sense? No, that makes yeah. absolute sense. Yeah, of course. So, uh, you're at a convention. Right. Are you doing a panel today? I heard somebody about the Batmobile. Come here. 
Truthfully? Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> we normally do one. Yeah. And But um, keeping it real, they may have communicated with the Yuans over there about doing a panel. And I, I'll do whatever. Because normally they communicate with me, but the Yuans are doing a lot of the stuff now okay. with, with our shows and, and things. And they may have communicated with Yuans and communicate with me. And so the answer to that question is I'm just not sure. Because we do a panel. We've done a panel every year yeah. at this show. But um, I just, uh, I am not in the know right now for this year to see if we're definitely doing one. That's fine. But the difference between sitting at a booth and you know, talking about your stuff and then getting up on a panel and talking about your stuff, is there a difference? Is there? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, you know, at the booth, you can talk about some things. But, you know, the panels are really designed to give some real direction. Okay. For novice or people who are just trying to break in or people who have an idea and don't know what to do next. And then again, you know, what we tell them at a panel or a booth it isn't guaranteed isn't the way this ha- has to be done this way. It's really to convey how it could be done, what works for us, and the pitfalls that you definitely want to avoid. You know, um, you know there, there are plenty, I'm sure, of talented young people, men and women all across the country, out here in Yuma, out, out everywhere. But if they want to get into comics, they better be aware of pitfalls. <laughs> I mean, it's expensive. It's no joke. Uh, to put a book together, these books look nice and pretty with artwork, but everybody wants to get paid, and everybody wants to be paid very decently. Uh, from the letter to the artist to the penciler, and some of us use inkers, some of us don't. Whether it's traditional or whether you're doing the uh, um, using a Wacom or you you know you're doing uh, digital. Uh, then there's coloring. You, you're going black and white and all of that stuff. And in the end, if you're heading this project, everybody's going to be looking for you to pay them. Or if you're not going to pay them and you want to make some kind of deal with them, then they're going to want 30, whatever the deal is, 30, 40% of your property because if it ever blows up or anything jumps off. But in the end, anybody who's really seasoned isn't going to do that. Isn't going to take a percentage of the book <laughs> based on the potential that it has. Yep. They, they're going to, they are going to, if they're seasoned, they've learned from that. <laughs> that. That is few and far far between. So they're going to want cash up front <laughs> or make a payment arrangement. And, that's, and, and of course, the better quality you want, the more money they're going to ask for. Um, I love my books and how they look. Even I, you know, the covers really attract people. But you get a cover artist, and I love, say, Kanan White or Andres Esparza or even David Miller. Well, you know what? It is a business. They got rent to pay. They got to eat, too. So, yeah. if, hey, you, if you want me to do that cover and it's a cover piece, okay. It's no big deal for them to ask for 400 or 500 bucks just for one page, just for the cover. Doesn't include any interiors or anything like that. It's, it's, it's uh, costly. So if you want to take on this venture by yourself, for now, just a nice comic with, say, 25 pages, get ready before you even start printing. Get ready to pony up anywhere from about thirteen dollars to $14,000 to do that. Yikes. That's, that's what I did. And that's, that's what I did with Night Stalker. That's good to know. That's what I did. Yeah. I, that's what I had to do. Um, when I was trying to break in back then, nobody was willing to give me a chance back then. They didn't know who the heck I was, and I get it. I absolutely get it. And I, But I knew I had something. And... I had an idea what I was getting myself to, what I was getting myself into, but not really. And then when I found the artist I wanted, I found the colorist, I found a letter, all of that stuff. And then, and then they knew people and everything too. By the time it was all said and done, before we even printed, I'd already spent over fifteen thousand dollars. And then printing, then there's printing, then there's distributing. Then the printer has to send the books to you. Then you got to send them if you're going through Diamond. Then you got to send them to Diamond. And guess what? Diamond's going to take a nice oh, chunk <laughs> out of that. So and 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 you'll be blessed if a thousand stores orders three of your books. 
You know, if you got a thousand stores, order three of books, and you're lucky if you sell three thousand, three thousand of your books, and it's tough. And so, even getting the stores to buy your book or, or your product, and especially if you're independent, and the, the stores know what the deal is. They, their history is, hey, Marvel sells, DC sells, the big guys sell. Small, independent, unknown writer, unknown. Hey, yeah, the the artwork looks pretty good. The character seems, you know, looks all right. The story seems all right. But why would I want to take a chance on this book where everybody's asking for Spider-Man or Batman or Moon Knight or anything like that? And, that, and that's what we as independent creators are absolutely going against. You know, no, you know, even though my stuff looks cool, I believe it looks cool, whether it's RRH or Nice Talk or anything like that. Um, it doesn't, I have no problem saying it. It doesn't compare to Spider-Man. It doesn't compare to Batman or Superman or any other big, the big characters, Wonder Woman, any of those. And that's what people, cause, because of the marketing, because of all the money investment they put behind that, that's what people know. Mm-hmm. And even if we don't have money just to put behind that. So luckily, if you become a Robert Kirkman who makes a deal, and then next thing you know, he blows up, and everybody knows who The Walking Dead is or something like that, or Bone with Jeff Smith or something like that, you know? It's tough to get to that level and get people coming to a show just to get your book or get, you know, oftentimes it's years before that happens. And during many, oftentimes during those years, people quit because it's so frustrating. You know, going to these shows, setting up, you know, it's a beautiful thing about Yuma because I've got a little name out there. So we have certain shows that will offer you some accommodation. Right. But most shows, hey, you want to go and sell at San Diego? You want to say, hey, I'm going to get me a booth at San Diego and sell at the San Diego show. Well, uh, yeah, good luck with that booth. First of all, there's a huge wait list. And if you get one, you better get ready to pay up $3,000 for that booth. Easily $3,000 for that booth. For a little simple rinky-dink booth, just like this booth here. One table. Let alone your hotel. Yeah. Transportation to get out there. And you'll be lucky in a great show like San Diego if you sell over 50, 60 books. Because everybody else, they're looking at the toys, they're looking yeah. at everything else. Everything. What makes them? What makes you think they want to come to your table and buy your book? This is what. This is what you're going to. And this is what I tell people: you got to get ready because it's just not going to be glitz and glory. You know, it's a. It's cool that you're you're, you're going to persevere and try to do it, but there are there's going to be struggles. I have struggled, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still you know not struggling as much as I did. But again, um, I'm in it for the love, so I don't mind going to. Luckily, I have uh, First Comics and and Ken F. Levin. Help supplement us, you know. Coming down to Yuma, I came down on my own dime. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sending out bill. Hey, here's a bill for my gas. You know, uh, I drove a V10 truck out here, <laughs> and uh, I need, here's a bill for 90 bucks for my yeah, for, for my gas. You know, it doesn't work like that. Again, I'm out here for the love to try to promote my projects. Uh, I got the new statue with RRH here. And just to, just to sit and have fun and talk to my man, Mitch. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, taking up enough of your time today. I'm glad you come on again. Uh, I, I, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. So As do I, Mitch. <laughs> as do I. Uh, this is Mitch down on the convention floor of Yuma 2019 saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. <laughs> this concludes our broadcast. Peace.